the trees, the weather, the chickadees in the cedar branches, and how the warm weather might bring off an early quill gordon hatch. A hatch would be great, said Ennis. I just got in a big batch of Adams and gold ribbed hare's ears down at the shop from Benny. This was as long a response as one would hear from Ennis to one of Doc's dissertations, which was, incidentally, just fine with both parties. The doctor, in spite of the sunshine, wore a battered waxed cotton packer rain hat from L.L. Bean, which looked distinguished with his white hair. His outer garment was a 24-year-old purple Patagonia anorak, a jacket he wore in all four seasons that he had tried many times to throw away, but couldn't. Gray, five years younger, made sure to match strides as if he was afraid he would miss something Dr. Warren had to say. Ennis's clothing tended toward the nondescript, his customary style. The two had for forty years walked together almost every day, played bridge together almost every Wednesday night, cribbage almost every Sunday, dined together a couple of times a week, and Ennis's wife almost never minded. The doctor had never married. He had built a blissful, comfortable life in the community. Over time, Doc had evolved into a local statesman, philanthropist, and philosopher in a town chock-full of philosophers. Dickie Hill, for example, who ran the transfer station just outside of town, held a Master of Arts in French Literature from the University of Michigan. Dickie left town for good after he went to use the two-seater outhouse at the dump and had locked himself inside before he realized there was a yearling black bear in there already. He couldn't use the outhouse or any other bathroom, for that matter, for two weeks. Dickie got so bound up he was sitting with his head in his hands in the little booth from where he operated the dumpster compactor. He got up, walked out to the side of the road, and stuck his thumb in the air. Someone gave him a ride as far as Millinocket, and nobody has seen him for eight years. Look, Doc said, without slowing his pace. Look down there. They had come to one of the forks in the path where they could see a part of the river where it made a sharp turn to the east, and then tumbled downhill with roiling Class Three rapids. It was pretty, but that particular bend pool wasn't one of the best-known fishing spots, although it was known to hold brook trout and at certain times of year landlocked salmon. A light green speck was visible against the darker green and black water, next to and slightly downstream from one of the large boulders protruding from the surface. "'Speak of the devil. Less I'm wrong, that's our young Benny,' the doctor said. "'I recognize the rhythm and the wide loop he throws when nymphing.' Nymphs were flies fished underwater and require a slightly different casting technique. Ennis asked, "'I know we haven't fished that pool together, but have you fished it lately, Arno?' Haven't for years, but if Ben Garrison's fishing it, you can bet it's productive. Yeah, replied Ennis, who watched pensively the angler working the pool. Wonder if he's using the same hare's ears he sold me last week. Both friends continued up the path, Dr. Warren rattling on about hackmatack trees don't have a taproot and can be pushed over with a tractor or even draft horses. He told how their roots were used for making ships' knees to hold up the decks back when ships were made of wood and had soles. Ennis knew this, of course, but listened happily and looked as interested as he could. 2. Twenty-three years earlier, it had been an auspicious start for the boys, as they were called by some of the local citizens. 
The boys were a small group of men who used each other quite effectively to avoid their own families. While they often told their spouses they were called upon to help a friend in need, in fact they spent most of their time talking. About current events, their beloved Roslyn, state government, and the feds. None of them except Doc and Ennis knew precisely who the feds really were, but that didn't stop the boys from pontificating about them. It was Doc who often kept the conversations from approaching a high level of unimportance. Mostly, the guys talked about fly fishing, which they all did know something about. Arno Warren had been a child of privilege. His physician father could afford to send him to an expensive prep school in New Hampshire, where, while a student, Arno taught Nordic skiing and sailing. It was also where the athletic boy was introduced to the high art of fly fishing by one of the young teachers. The attraction took root, and Arno would be in love with the fly rod for the rest of his life. He worked for a few years in Montana and in South...